I still, like, I can vividly remember sitting on the edge of my bed, reading the note, and doing, like, I stood up and did, like, the Tiger Woods, like, fist pump. Like, yes! <laughs> Welcome to Marriage Talk. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Valerie. Thanks for joining us today. We have an exciting interview with the founders of the Union Movement. Their names are Brian and Bonnie Pugh. We really loved our conversation with them, and we think you will too. (laughs) That's right. We'll get them to share more about their organization on the podcast, but really in short, their focus is on bringing help and wholeness on the topics of identity, sexuality, and relationships. They are passionate about helping people talk about sexuality with a biblical worldview and love to equip parents and churches with tools and language on how to approach the topic of sex and sexuality with all age groups. So without further ado, let's head on over to the interview and chat with Brian and Bonnie. Well, welcome, Brian and Bonnie. Thanks for joining us uh, here today on Marriage Talk. We are so excited to have this opportunity to visit with you, to get to know a little bit more about you, and also even to get to know more about the union movement. But before we jump into what the two of you do, uh, we've got a little chance to visit with you and and get to know you a a brief moment here. But our listeners, you would be new. They're going to be like, who's this new voice on Marriage Talk? How did the two of you meet? Uh, how long have you been married? Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, well, we we met way back in 2003, and our our worlds collided. That's and right. Yeah, and then our just <laughs> <laughs> then our journey began. We've been married now for well, we didn't get married till 2007, but we've been married so that if my math is correct, that's 15 years coming up. 16 years. We have six boys. Mm-hmm. And so a full van, full full party life. It's it's great. But yeah, if we can make your prayer list, that would be great. So. Yeah, yeah. That's a, you know, you've got a whole shift for ice hockey plus one. We like do the sub. Yeah. Well, and our oldest boys are identical twins. And so I don't know if we have any Canucks fans that would listen or out there or they're going to want to actually ag- acknowledge themselves. <laughs> it's kind of heartbreaking being a Canucks fan these days. But um, my brother would always buy them the Sedin twin jerseys as they were growing up. But it gets a little bit more expensive as they get build- bigger. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's our, that's our claim to fame. So yeah, the boys. So yeah, we did meet at church, Bri came, had not been serving Jesus and came to a youth night. Heard there free was, pizza. Yeah, heard there was free pizza. <laughs> so we showed up and I was like the like faithful church kid. And so then, yeah, our worlds collided. So we became fast friends. Uh, and then it was about a year later, we were like, oh, I feel something else. Yeah. <laughs> not just friends. Yeah. When we have this season, like when we, whenever we kind of tell our story, we, we talk about the season of our life when we were quote unquote, not dating. But we were just doing all the things that dating people do, you know what I mean? Very like, you know, like specific, you know, isolated, or what's the word I'm looking for? Like exclusive. We yeah. are very exclusive. Like we're going to go together to see a movie and then for dinner and then walk, you know, there's this area called White Rock out in kind of Southwest BC where it's just right on the ocean, beautiful spot, you know, and we're just going to go for a walk there together because that's what's what friends do, you know <laughs> what I mean? And so along the like, ocean, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Sunset. Oh, totally. <laughs> so the Lord, the Lord didn't let us get away with that. Um, kind of brought us to a place, at least in my journey uh, of healing and kind of you know being anchored in Christ, like just really surrender relationships for a season and 
and really just grow and find healing from some of the brokenness I had in my past. And to kind of fast track a little bit, that was our dating. And then it's just like uh, two years later, after we both went through two years of discipleship school, we kind of felt led to start a relationship and we were married pretty quickly after that. So yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Just want to loop back, Brian, and ask you what brought you to the church. So you're an unbeliever. Besides pizza. Besides, yeah, yeah. I was going to say <laughs> yeah. besides pizza, but yeah. Was it an invite from a friend? Yeah. Was you a flyer and you just showed up? Was it? Yeah. So there was this little kind of Bible study that had started kind of like a post alpha gathering. Uh, and so like some of my friends and like, there's kind of like this little mini renewal revival going on in my grade 12 class where some of my friends rededicated their life to Jesus and some of them had come to faith for the first time. And, and so they invited me to this, this Bible study. And I like, as I tell my story, I just say like, I was not looking for God. Like I was not interested. I had a little bit of kind of Christian exposure or faith exposure when I was younger, but like it was not part of my life. And I was, yeah, just living in a lot of brokenness, alcohol, drugs, and partying and sports kind of looking for identity in so many different places. Right. And just finding brokenness. Um, it's a lot of broken relationships and stuff, but, uh, but yeah, so they invited me and yeah, I say it's free pizza, but I just know the Lord was just starting to get a hold of my heart. And, and there's a season, like, I know like that night, like I maybe prayed a prayer to like, yeah, Jesus, like I'm going to give you my life. But then it's just like where the rubber actually meets the road is, is not always found in just that quick little parroted prayer. And so I kind of walked the line for a few months where I was partying Friday nights, Saturday nights, but man, I'm going to go to church on Sunday because I'm a Jesus person. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's like, there's a little bit of incongruency in my, in my life. But again, like the Lord's just faithful. He, he led me to a place of just really surrendering everything to him. And, and it came at a great cost of, you know, friendships and stuff like that. But like, I go, man, when you, whenever you, no matter what you give up, when you gain Jesus, it's a good deal. So mm -hmm. that's awesome. It's beautiful because God is so gentle with us. Mm -hmm. right? He takes us where we're at and totally. he just guides us just gently and with at, at, at the speed that he knows that we are ready for mm -hmm. in this journey of getting to know him more. He doesn't expect us to go from nothing yeah. to a full, complete, total understanding of everything. And right. uh, yeah, your what you just shared is just a testimony to how good and gentle God is. Yeah, he is. He's merciful, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 So Bonnie, in walks this guy. You start to get to know him. You say you kind of had a fast track speeding time or no friends, dating fast friends. Fast friendship <laughs> uh, time. But funny story from dating or when was that moment you talked about so it was a year later so we know it's still not the pizza that's talking in your stomach at this time but you mentioned that you had this feeling and you're like uh oh I have a feeling bring us into that how how did that process go for you yeah I mean I tell this I'll tell we have a good story we have a pretty <laughs> epic like disastrous don't story. hype it up too much sorry right? yeah I mean it's okay it's whatever <laughs> Okay, but I do remember when we were still, we were actually just friends before the feelings had started like stirring in me. I remember driving with him to another friend's football game and thinking, man, it's so great to have a friend that I know nothing will ever happen with. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, mm, fast forward, you know. Definitely not what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> man, I really hope this goes somewhere. Yeah, you know? <laughs> going nowhere. Oh, anyway, so I think because Brian, I just always felt like I could be myself with him and he was respectful to me. 
Um, and we just had a lot of good laughs. Then I, I just, it was like my heart just slowly started to unfold to the possibility. And then a mutual friend told us that Brian liked me. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my gosh, are you serious? This change now, now I have to actually consider this. So that's when we kind of started the like not dating stage yeah. around there. So that was like May 20, 2004. I don't, I don't know if you guys have any friends that like you just maybe don't tell like vital information to or like <laughs> protected information to. But uh, Brandon, if you're out there, man, we're so thankful that you opened your mouth. Yeah. I was gonna, Spilled the beans. Yeah, I was going to say, was that kind of your soft launch, Brian? Like, oh, seriously. Brandon, could you maybe just check this out for me and then report yeah. back? And I still think I owe him 20, vault and 20 bucks for it. Yeah, right. But so, okay. So JK, then just here's kidding. the like, not that cool of a funny of a story but here's what happened in the summer that we were not dating i one night reached and held brian's hand even though we're not dating and i was like all right awesome the next day i'm like what was i thinking oh my gosh <laughs> like we're trying to just stay friends and i just like ruined that so then i write him i don't know if girl girls i know girls will relate to this i wrote like a like pour out my heart note to him of like i shouldn't have done that I feel like, the, you know, we're not supposed to be, we're not dating right now, but I think I'm falling in love with you. Like, I just like bore my soul. <laughs> and then I tucked that in my backpack and I was like, okay, now I'm going to write the real letter that I'm actually going to give him. Because, you know, this is, we're not on, like, I didn't, I don't have a cell phone that texted even at this point. I'm so right. sorry for those listening. You're like, you're a dinosaur. <laughs> so I'm writing like, oh, you know, lined paper note to him. And I just kind of like, man, I apologized that I shouldn't have done that. I know that I'm going away to this, you know, discipleship leadership school in the fall. We're not going to start a relationship like your sister in Christ. Like that's kind of mm -hmm. the, the tone of that note. Grace and peace. Grace and peace be <laughs> upon you. So then... Then I'm going to see him Monday night at our young adult group. Can you hear our kids yelling in the back? No, <laughs> Do we need good. to pause for a real second? Life. It's, this is real awesome. life. Yeah. No, I'm like, good. is it going to keep going? It's our two-year-old. Our older ones are like very capable to watch him. <laughs> Maybe he's calming down. Okay. He just has some strong opinions. I don't yeah. know if you know any toddlers that have strong oh. opinions. But... <laughs> he's usually so... <laughs> he's usually so easygoing too. Yeah. Anyway, so I tuck... The, both of those letters, they're in my backpack. I'm going to see Bri on the Monday night at a young adult thing. After the night, then I'm like, hey, can we just chat for a minute? We talk it through. And Bri's like, yeah, I, I totally understand. You know, just such an understanding guy. Realize we're not, we're not dating and we're not going to go down that road. Then I reach into my backpack, pass him the platonic note. And I'm like, oh, phew, drive home in peace. The next morning, I reach into my backpack and find the note that I was supposed to give him, which means yes. that Brian took home the love letter. Uh, <laughs> I still like I can vividly remember sitting on the edge of my bed, reading the note and doing like I stood up and did like the Tiger Woods like fist pump. Like, yes! <laughs> but like when I think about that story, like it still just boggles my mind. Like I just go like you wrote two notes, two of them. Like I. One was for my processing sake, you know? Yeah. And divine yeah. intervention. I love right? it. Right? Yeah. Apparently. Oh, my God. Well, gosh. and here's, here's what's really crazy. This is a part that, like, obviously, there's some details of this that we would not recommend, like, in some ways. But, like, when I first met Bonnie, I had a sense that, like, she's going to be your wife. Mm -hmm. And I, But I was just so new to, like, 
Christianity and, you know, kind of the Lord's leadership in my life. I'm like, this is weird. Why do I have this strong sense? Where's that voice coming from? All this kind of stuff. I'm trying to figure that out. And I didn't tell her yet or anyone until I think we were engaged. I didn't tell you, mm-hmm. but it was just like, it was like, even just the Lord had kind of just was just maybe playfully kind of reminding me like, Hey, Brian, like, don't worry about it. Like you can surrender this is because it was coming into a season of surrendering yeah, kind of any sort of idea of starting a relationship just with my process and with um, what she was going to with discipleship school that she was going to be going to for a year. And so, so I had to really just trust God kind of like Abraham's putting Isaac on the altar. Like mm-hmm. here's a promise, but I'm going to have to just lay it up there. Yeah. But God showed himself faithful. So yeah. So good. Yeah, so yeah. then the, the following conversation was awkward just all over again. That was so great. <laughs> of like, hey, so awesome. can we trade notes? This is what I really need. <laughs> yeah. I still have it. I have the original. I was the, going to ask, <laughs> is the legendary note still in your possession? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And it's so cheesy. I'm like, oh my gosh, 18 year old Bonnie, you're like. <laughs> Yeah, that so needs to be dramatic. framed, put above the mantle and the fire. That actually that would is be a story. Story. You're right. Yeah, you're right. That yeah, would be awesome. Yeah, so that's good. one of those stones. Don't forget it. The, yeah, exactly. That is needed. <laughs> hey, 15 years marriage. There must be some some journey along there. If you could go back 15 years to Brian and Bonnie, maybe you're writing a letter to you know 15 years ago or two letters yeah (laughs) yeah but but knowing what you know now and we love asking all of our our guests this but knowing what you know now 15 years in the marriage what would you say to brian and bonnie 15 years ago just beginning and entering their marriage journey that's a good question Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we, we were kind of, as we were going through the questions that you sent over, this was one that we talked about a little bit. And and I think as I look back, I would probably tell myself two things. Number one, like there's kind of this idea that like that women are emotional and I go like, they're not, the truth is they're not, they're primarily not emotional. They're primarily relational, mm-hmm. right? But so if, if women are not just primarily emotional, then that means that the opposite of women doesn't, or what am I trying to say here? So if women are, are not emotional, that's the number one lie that they're primary emotional, then it doesn't mean to be an authentic man means that you're not emotional. Mm-hmm. Right. So if like, and that's kind of like, kind of, I think what a lot of men are told is just like, well, Hey, you know, suck it up, push your emotions down, all this kind of stuff. And I realized that like, um, obviously you don't let your emotions run your life, but like you have to have emotional health and be processing uh, sadness, processing disappointment, confusion, you know, hard times of your of your life, you have to be able to have an avenue of processing that with the Lord and with with a healthy community. Because I feel like a lot of the brokenness that we're seeing within men's life, whether it's addiction to substances, pornography, uh, work, whatever it is, is trying to mask pain that is just not being healed emotionally. Um, not to say that's a blanket statement for everything, but I think I think there's a part of that. So I would look, I would have told young Brian, like, hey, there's avenues of emotional health that need to be poured into. And it's not, it's not anti-masculinity to be emotionally, to have a certain level of emotional intelligence um, mm-hmm. with yourself and with other people. So yeah, so good. I don't know. Hopefully that made sense. <laughs> Great. I think as a female, I appreciate when you say that, because I think there is that pressure 
on women, it's like, oh, women are just so emotional. So then as women, I think we're like, don't be emotional. And then that doesn't lead us anywhere good either. So like you said, emotions don't lead us. It's just such a funny statement that women are so emotional. It's like, well, have you ever gone golfing with men? They're pretty emotional, <laughs> you know, like you just got to shank a ball into the trees and tears yeah. and swear words. At, no, I don't know. I don't know who you play golf with, but <laughs> I have saying. a member who throws the golf ball when oh. the anger gets happening. So it, yes, uh, yeah. or the emotion, I guess. the emotion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Repressed emotion. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Comes out in funny places. Yeah. Um, okay, so then young Bonnie, you said there were two. So I was do Well, we can another? just do one. Okay. There's no obligation. I just took okay. liberties. That's okay. all. So I would say to young Bonnie that she needed to worry less about the future and about even about the relationship. And to, it's like, I would tell her to pray more. I would tell her to like, instead of putting pressure on her husband to meet her needs or like be a certain way so that the relationship could be a certain way. I would say like the faster you can just bring your cares to the Lord, the like the happier you're going to be in your marriage. Don't be like for me, I'm like, Bonnie, don't take things so personally. Don't fear rejection so much. I don't know. I think that has brought the more I've done that, the more peace I have had in our marriage. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's what I would say. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Very wise wisdom from both of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something we try to really encourage people with is when they're in a season of singleness. So like if God's calling them to marriage and there there's lessons for them to be learning in singleness, <clears throat> excuse me, that that are really important for when they step into that calling of marriage. Right. And so it's like so we had a mentor in our life say to us, like the most important lesson you can learn in that season of singleness, if you're called to marriage is that there's only some, there's some needs in your life that only God can meet. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it, it takes that pressure off of your future spouse to trying to be meeting every single need in your life. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's, <clears throat> excuse me again, there's avenues of servanthood and that like, yeah, we can, we can help each other and we can serve each other and encourage each other and all these things. But when brokenness in relationships is carried into, into a deeper level of covenant, and now you're trying to put trying to get that other broken person to try to fix all of your problems. That's a real great way to just implode. Um, mm -hmm. And because there's the weight of the human heart can only be held. The full weight of the human heart can only be held by the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so that's why like scripture talks about the three stranded cord is not easily broken. So like when you are willing to mm -hmm. continue to be praying for each other and trust God to work on the heart of your spouse, like mm -hmm. there's grace and peace and doesn't mean that there's not, you know, like, maybe some hard conversation and some accountability that needs to be there. Right, right. But we have to be, we have to be able to trust God that they, that he can deal with the heart of our, our husband or wife. So. So good. So good. Thanks for sharing. I already know we're going to run out of time. So we need to bring you back and just unpack your marriage story a little bit more. Yeah. So that's going to take place. Listeners. I, I just want you to know, we're not going to leave all this low hanging fruit where we want to dive in a little bit more. If you are willing, we'd love to bring you back uh, for another. 100%. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll hit pause yeah. on some of your marriage story. But sure. today we wanted to talk to you a little bit more about what you do. You're both co-founders of the union movement. And I'm going to, well, I'm just going to throw it over to you. Let you explain who the union movement is and, and what it's about, why it got started, the heart behind your ministry or your job it's both right so totally. yeah <laughs> yeah 
Thank you. Yeah, we started the Ministry of the Union in the fall of 2018, but really the the origin story goes back further to Brian, like he shared with his testimony of broken relationships, early exposure to porn, which had led to an addiction, which then when he came to Jesus still, you know, had to, he still had to find healing from. And then for myself, I was, like I mentioned, I was a church kid, but at age 15, then was pretty devastated when I found out one of my my youth pastor at the time was committing adultery with one of my 15 year old friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt like, yeah, for me, that was everything kind of crumbled. And I was like, how do I, how can I trust men? How can I trust leaders? How can I, like, how could sex ever be good? You know, all those thoughts. And so then when we, around that age, 1920, were in discipleship school and and a, a teacher came in and shared with us a message of restoration, a message of God's design for sexuality, a message of how um, holiness in this area is actually linked to the thriving of nations. Both Brian and I fell, found so much hope and healing and individually kind of had a prayer in our heart, you know, God, I'd love to use my life to bring this message to others for the prevention of pain, but then also the restoration of those who have been so wounded um, so then when we ended up, you know, God merged our lives together and we got married, then it was, it was just there in our hearts. And so we were serving in youth and young adults and, and we would just always make sure that we were incorporating messages. And we always found young adults in the, in the church were so hungry for truth um, and for someone to speak honestly about these topics and bring yeah, just bring a message that says that Jesus can wash shame away and that mm -hmm. you don't have to live under the the burden of that. It's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm forgiven. Jesus forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Like, no, like actually you can be free and God mm -hmm. wants to separate your heart from your history. So we we just saw that. And then honestly, I, I think over those years, we'd have, you know, young men, young women whispering confessions to us of things that either they had done or things that had been done to them mm -hmm. and it became more and more just obvious to us like man i want like we want to mm -hmm. give our life to to help churches be a safe place for all ages but particularly even for these young people who are you know haven't started their marriages yet or haven't had children yet and it's like we could you know just bring them a good foundation in order to launch them into mm -hmm. the into the future they dream of so yeah um, so that's kind of why we started. And I don't know, do you want to share maybe like, yeah. what that looks like? The main focus of the union is to help people find wholeness in sexuality, identity, and relationships with a gospel-centered and holistic approach. Because there's only, and the reason why we say gospel-centered is because I think over church history, you would see that most times the church has fallen into one of two ditches. Either we start writing things on signs that are really angry and filled with uh, strong language mm -hmm. and just speak of people who are made in the image of God yet sin differently than we do in a very demonizing way. And so we get very activist minded and we're just, we're going to show the world that we're Jesus's disciples because of how angry we are, you know, like that's, that's the one ditch you can get into. But then we see this other ditch, which I think is probably more prominent right now is where we, we feel that somehow we could love people more than God does. And we start crossing scriptures out of the Bible that are socially inconvenient. And we start affirming things and um, behaviors, identities that that Christ doesn't affirm or 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 support. 
And, uh, and so like we, we use that term gospel centered because this is not about behavioral modification. Mm -hmm. This is not about political talking points. This is about the reality of what Christ does in the heart of a human being to save them, to bring them, to adopt them into a family, the family of God and become his child, which is our identity. We are a child of God primarily. And out of that, the sanctifying work is bringing healing and restoration to all these areas of our life, including sexuality. So this isn't like, this isn't like a, like a sidebar avenue of the gospel. This is actually just gospel mm -hmm. work as it, as it speaks to sexuality. So we're very purposeful with that. And so like our heart is to um, provide resources, experiences and training uh, for individuals, church leaders, and just church communities um, to just really find that health and the healing that the gospel brings to this area by the, how God uses the gospel to bring healing to these areas. So that is yeah. so good. I absolutely love that. And, and it just resonates so much with our own story and our own mm. journey of healing and beautiful. It, yeah. Seeing the gospel in this, cause it's so often seen as kind of a box off to the side or a taboo mm -hmm. subject. And, you know, we just don't talk about that, right? Yeah. Well, we'll talk about Jesus and how much he loves us, but not that. Yeah. And so, yeah, love. Well, you Valerie, you, you bring up a good point because it's, it's like, there's only two letters in the New Testament that don't mention sexuality. And that's Philemon and Second, Th Second Thessalonians. Yeah. I go like, so this was not something that was skirted around by the apostolic writers. This is not something that was skirted around by Jesus. Jesus talked about it. Like it's, it's mm -hmm. all there. And so, you know, if, if we're really going to make disciples of all nations, more, more specifically our own nation in Canada, we have to be willing to talk about this and not talk about it in a shame-based, fear-based way, but in a life-giving gospel-centered um, biblical perspective. So yeah. I so think like... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, just like what you're saying there of, you know, we'll say like Jesus loves you and you will, and even we'll say like, and he'll forgive anything. And we hope that they will apply that to like the darkest secret, you know, like, okay, but what about, what about when I got pregnant and I ended that pregnancy? Like, I can't imagine Jesus would forgive me for that one. So the person in the crowd, the shame is so loud that we have to actually be bold enough to say, if you're someone here, who had an abortion, like Jesus can forgive you and wash you clean of that, right? Or like, what about when I was young, I did something to, to a kid or whatever, right? Like, it's like, I, no, Jesus couldn't forgive that one and no one ever brings it up. So I just assume the worst. I just think this one, I am, you know what? I'm happy to be here, but I am gonna be a back row Christian. I am gonna, I'm just happy to be here. I don't have to ever use my voice, ever activate my giftings because I just know that God couldn't possibly want to build his kingdom with me, right? And it's like, no, to those people, right? Like that's, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, 2 Corinthians, I always mess that up. First. Thanks. Um, where, Happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> where Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and Corinth is saturated with, you know, just like this false God worship, this ideology that is this elevates sexual experience above all other things, very similar to our day now. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a, you know, there's a, a temple there dedicated to God of fertility and there's a thousand temple prostitutes and he's writing a letter to the church planted there. 
And he says, like, don't be deceived. Like those, like these different, you know, neither the fornicators or the adulterers or the idolaters or the homosexual or the liars or the thieves or like he just lists, you know, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And you could imagine the crowd or, you know, the, the, this local church, they're maybe thinking like, that's me like that. That's what I did. That's what I still fear I am, you know, and then the next verse, Paul says, but and such were some of you, but you were washed and Mm -hmm. you were sanctified, you were justified by Jesus Christ, you know, and so it gives by speaking it, it gives a place for people to confess, because they realize, yeah, I actually, I can still be included in the body of Christ. I was once far off, and now I have been brought close, and I am part of the beloved. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we just love to talk about that and watch watch shame get washed away as they yeah. confess people admit to things they would promise they'd never tell anybody yeah and i th- i think for for people who are listening like there's avenues of shame like not all shame is created equal you know what i mean there's avenues around when there's sexual sin or sexual like lines sexually that have been crossed there's a deeper sense of shame some of that is actually God's design in protecting a very, a very important area of our human experience that that should be protected. So it's like God's putting a boundary around something. And so like when you cross that boundary, it should be you should know where that boundary was. But then also people around you should kind of know where that boundary was as well. They can tell that there's something different. Something's happened, you know, especially you know, unfortunately, if there's been a child who's been abused, like it's like the light out of their eyes kind of goes away. Like what happened? Why? Why are they behaving this way? This isn't this isn't how they normally are. It's supposed to kind of awaken a community to to something's happened and to to try to you know move in and, mm-hmm. and come closer in that. But the avenues of shame will always lie to you about how you how God sees you. It'll try to lie to you about who God is. Like we see that in the garden right away, right? They're hiding, they're hiding, Adam and Eve are hiding from God after they've eaten from this tree. It'll lie to you about what people think about you. And so like, this is why it's important to be so specific because shame will always say, yeah, God will forgive you, but you can, there's no way that this, that God will forgive this thing, right? Mm -hmm. The shame is going to be so much stronger. It's so like, um, Mm -hmm. when I say that all shame is not created equal, um, it's very, very true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say in your experience in, in working with young adults and teens and, and probably parents, is there something that you're able to pinpoint that, that really helps them get over that hurdle mm-hmm. of being able to accept God's forgiveness and then also being able to forgive themselves if it's mm-hmm. something that they've done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting. Sometimes we think of the gospel and we go, is it too, it's too easy. It's too good to be true. You know, just believe, like, I mean, repent as well, but like believe. And I think sometimes we find our heart, it really is the hardest thing is to believe, like to believe that God would love you Mm -hmm. in spite of what you've done, to believe that you could accept it as a gift, you know? So, I mean, as a parent, I think something we've tried to do right from a very early age is speak uh, this. We've said this statement so many times, there is nothing you can do to make me stop loving you. You know, and we said that right from probably like two or three years old. And they're thinking like, oh, so if I steal a cookie, you'll still love me, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and yes, you know what? Some people could use that as 
as license to then be like, well, they'll forgive me. Mm-hmm. Right. But that is the um, extravagance that the love of God shows to like has that that God's love is towards us. He says, there is nothing you could do to make me stop loving you. Uh, If you come and you humble your heart, like that love is free to come. So they're thinking it's about the cookie jar. They don't realize we're planting a seed, laying a foundation of our love for them that when they're 16 years old and they say, I did this thing, or I'm tempted by this thing, Mm -hmm. or I feel this thing that they, that it's like, well, my love isn't going anywhere, you know? And so I would say definitely for, for parents, I don't know if, if this is ask, answering your question. You're saying what could help the kids? What could help people overcome? I think there needs to be a foundation of unconditional love. Like it, that's not, it doesn't um, belittle the standard. It doesn't lower the conviction. You know, the chap, John chapter one says that Jesus came in the fullness of truth and grace. So I think as leaders, teachers, parents, who are trying to follow Jesus, like that's how we need to come is the fullness of you know, conviction and the fullness of compassion where we remember our transgressions and don't hold others' transgressions against them. So I think mm-hmm. when there's a I think when there's an atmosphere of that kind of love and blessing, it makes space for people to confess and see in the eyes of somebody else the love of Jesus. That's mm-hmm. what the church I think is supposed to is supposed to offer to yeah. a broken world. Yeah. Yeah. I would say too, like we try to minimize the um, the power of disclosure, just simply bringing something into the light. And we kind of, especially as like Protestants, we kind of just go like, well, confession is like a Catholic thing, right? Like mm-hmm. I need to go get in a booth and talk through a veil or whatever. I, I've never been in a confession booth, as you can tell. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but you know, the Bible's like so clear, like in first John chapter one mm-hmm. says, if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's the vertical confession that we have mm-hmm. for forgiveness. But then James 5, 16 says that we should confess our sins one to another and pray for one another that we might find healing. Mm-hmm. So there's there's forgiveness vertically, and then there's healing that's found within community. And I think mm-hmm. what we've seen as we've had times, uh, sometimes after preaching or teaching, where we just give time just to respond to certain things. And we've had people bring things into the light that they haven't told anyone for 25 years. We've seen some really cool stories of just people finding freedom just by talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh my goodness, like the the weight off of my soul is just is gone, you know, because mm-hmm. like the Lord loves to just carry those things away. But he he has a specific means in which he does that. It, there needs to be disclosure. This is why even in the garden and back in you know in Genesis chapter three, mm-hmm. why you know God's asking Adam like, "Where are you?" He's coming looking like you're not where you're supposed to be. But then when God's talking to Eve, he says, "What is this that you've done?" He's asking a relational question, trying to draw out what is this thing that's happened. There's distance between us. I can tell things are not right. I are, like God obviously already knows what's happened, mm-hmm. but he's he's asking the question to draw out of her. And then that's that's part of the redemption process and the foreshadowing of Jesus coming later when, you know, God sacrifices an animal and then makes coverings for them and takes away their kind of facade coverings of shame and mm-hmm. and like, hey, I'm gonna try to make this right again. I'm gonna try to cover up my my shame and my nakedness. God takes that away and makes coverings that are obviously foreshadowing of Jesus' work, the robes of righteousness that he gives us. But but I I would say like as a leader, as a parent, you know, the the key to get over a hurdle of shame and condemnation is confession and community 
and and just walking walking that out and and building that bridge of relationship where where it's not just confessing a fall it's even just confessing there's strength to like inconsistency to confess even just a temptation mm-hmm. or something like that i would try to i would really encourage parents to be building that bridge of uh continually talking as much as you can about a wide variety of things to build that bridge mm-hmm. to be able to talk about sexuality yeah, it's yeah. it's so good. I, I do some work with some men and they'll that are struggling in addictions and, and then they'll share like they've you know have stumbled again into their temptation. And so I just ask them like, hey, why didn't you reach out before you yeah. fell? And they're like, Well, it's really awkward. And I say, yeah. So telling me that you did fall in temptation isn't awkward? And they're like, No, this is pretty awkward too. So I'm <laughs> yeah. like, Well, choose your awkward. Like yeah. that's so way, good. it's gonna be awkward. Yeah. Just one of them comes with a lot more freedom a lot quicker there isn't yeah. much guilt and shame carrying in when you just say hey i'm being tempted right now could you mm-hmm. just pray for me you know and, and work through it. anyways i always just tell tell the men i work like like choose your awkward yeah they're both awkward yeah. so, and bring it into the light and bring it into right because satan loves to yeah. work in secret he totally. loves to work in the dark yeah. And yeah we are caught in that lie that well i can't say anything yeah. then he's got free reign to continue yeah. working amongst that shame so and, true. Guilt yeah. and um he's got a lot of power over us when we do yeah. keep it in the well, dark in the secret yeah and that was my life and we've shared a little bit of that too of i've had a you know, 20 years of a, a deep, dark, porno, you know, pornographic addiction, porn addiction, I guess it was what it be, or, or that struggle in that sin. And it wasn't until I fully brought it to the light, mm-hmm. got healing in my own life, uh, surrendered everything to Christ. Wow. I found so much freedom. And yeah. so the, this light, this, this weight completely lifted off my shoulders. And we were finally able to really work on that oneness that's in within marriage and really draw closer together because for so long it was such a dark secret. It was part of our marriage, like right. while we were married and, and that was ripping at the very fabric of our oneness that we're trying to build, but so bringing good. it into light, seeking forgiveness, asking for help, all these things were, were mm-hmm. so, so helpful, but you've alluded to, a few times here, and this is true. Like this conversation, in and of itself, feels shame. It can bring shame. Mm-hmm. There might be listeners out there right now, and and just the fact that we're trying to talk about sexuality in a biblical framework, and and, mm-hmm. and that's what you are trying to do with the union movement is to teach from a biblical framework, a biblical worldview on the topic of sexuality. But just that word itself, as soon as people mm-hmm. hear it, they can yeah. feel, I haven't done enough. I, I have a broken story or I, I'm full of shame and guilt. And so I don't want to talk about it. I just wonder what would you say or what, yeah, what, what, what could you say to the parent that is listening right now? And, and maybe they just go like, ah, my kids are teenagers now. Uh, It's too late for me to connect and talk with them. Or maybe my kids are too young and I don't want to have this conversation yet. Yeah. Maybe it's the, I did the one in one sex talk and done and like got it off the checklist, but Mm -hmm. I keep hearing people say it's not a one time conversation. And so even just that can bring shame to someone that I didn't do it right. Right. What, what would you say to the, that couple or those parents that are thinking that right now? Yeah. Well, I think 
you know, as a, maybe just to speak to maybe the parent who their kids are growing and they feel like that window of time is maybe just closed to kind of like, God is, God is really great at restoring lost time and redeeming the lost time, you know, like when you're purposeful. Um, And I think like, no matter how old my, my boys get, I'm always going to be their dad and their our relationship will will grow and and morph and change mm-hmm. but i'm always going to be their dad and and i and i i don't think that there's i don't think there's ever a window of time where at least i don't think young people would be honest about this i don't think they would say this but i think it's a reality that like they're always going to be looking to their parents or they always would would want deep in their heart to have their parent involved and engaged in their life now we feel so much pressure within our society just to be independent and you can be a strong, you know, like mm-hmm. individual and stand on your own two feet. It's just like, nobody does that. <laughs> no, like nobody's able to actually stand on their own two feet. We need community. We need mm-hmm. people walking with us. And, and so like, I, I would say to that parent, like, man, be purposeful. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think they would be, obviously if there's maybe some, traumatic stuff or some deeper maybe troubling relational dynamics like that's going to take some time to maybe work through Mm -hmm. but i think you know the young person would probably be really pleasantly surprised to have their parent reaching out to them and being like hey can we go do breakfast and and i would say maybe maybe not on that first breakfast don't bring up sexuality. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe again, we want to build that bridge um, mm-hmm. just so they don't feel like they're having to drink from a fire hose of worldview stuff. But like, um, mm-hmm. but, but I think like they'd be pleasantly surprised um, yeah. to see the intentionality and the purposeful love expressed by their, their parents. So. Yeah. I think that's, that's really key. I think, yeah, like you said, our relationship with our kids will change and it must. And our kids will need more than just us as parents. As they get older, they're going to need other people in community speaking into them. But I'm the only mom they'll ever, they're going to have, you know? And so my blessing to them and my encouragement and my instruction uh, is a gift to them. And I think there are, I think there are young men and women who wish, you know, maybe they lost a mom or a dad and they wished that they had someone who would have conversation with them. So while, as long as you're breathing as a mom and a dad, you know, be ready there, be there. And then, I mean, you also ask the question, what if it's like, I think my kids might be too young for this. I don't want to wake it up too early. I don't want to, you know, rob them of their innocence, that kind of thing. I mean, I think sometimes if we were, you know, we live in urban centers so often now, but it's like, if we were all living on farms. It's like, there's a pretty good object lesson happening. <laughs> you know, kids in, pre- in previous generations, it's like, what are those cows doing? Well, let me tell you. Yeah. Right. So it's like this, uh, you know, we can start those conversations fairly young and it not um, rob them of innocence because it's yeah. just a part of God's design. Yeah. And then just i have a funny I'm like, story you have a joke yeah, i can I hear it in your in your little <laughs> laugh so uh we were i think i was watching like a national geographic or like whatever that is it like the world show or okay. the earth i don't know you can tell planet earth playing a lot of attention planet earth that's what it's called <laughs> but like i think it was this one like serengeti or or african desert kind of show and there is this one baby animal that showed up and my son was like, oh, dad, look, they had a baby. I'm like, oh, yeah, look at that. Like, man, how did that show up? And my one of my boys goes, oh, yeah, that's because they mated. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, what's mating? He's like, 
I don't know. <laughs> it's like, so like there's avenues, like they're exposed to it, but they don't know the, the intricacies and the implications, the implications of it. Yeah. But, and I think even on the topic of like, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that my kids are too young. Like, obviously there's a way that you can talk about this that is just not appropriate, but like mm -hmm. you can talk about sexuality and, and human mm -hmm. identity without talking about biology, like by the bio biological actions and physical actions, you can talk about the mm -hmm. avenues of the soul avenues of mm -hmm. the heart, how God's designed them emotionally, how they're, how they're integrated beings and what they do with their body affects their spirit and their soul and like mm -hmm. how God has designed them, you know, and like you haven't talked about sexuality and the physical act yet you've you've brought dignity to their existence and to what it means to be human and mm -hmm. and these different things and none of that none of that we haven't even talked about the physical act yet you know what right. i mean because the their maturity maybe wouldn't be able to handle it but you are building a foundation to have that that future conversation um you're building a really strong foundation for that so yeah so good so it's kind of zooming out and instead of just focusing on the specific mm -hmm. act of the birds and the bees yeah zooming out and looking at the bigger picture the bigger design the bigger purpose mm -hmm. that god just built into us in our humanity Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one, you know, as you look in the Old Testament, New Testament, um, I started to see or kind of put language to something I was seeing is the trend when it comes to human identity and sexuality. I was seeing the enemy of our soul is often trying to get us to disintegrate. So either that um, either what's on the outside is what's most important or what's on the inside your perception of yourself it's what is what is most important um he and then also he's always trying to isolate the generations so we would even when the kids were very young before we you know talked about the physical act of sexual intercourse we would say you know kind of like watch we would teach them to watch out for those message those messages that would say your outside's what's most important which you'd often see maybe in um you know maybe seductive behavior or seductive dress uh, or insecurity and all those things like it, it there's so many ramifications of that one and then also be aware of when you think only my perception of myself is what's most important my body doesn't matter so bringing that into balance is a key foundation and then and then also anything that would try to separate um, children from their parents not necessarily physically but even just um, emotionally or psychologically that we always are on guard against those things. So if if you can hold on to those, even when your kids are like three, four, five, and kind of be talk talking about that, mm -hmm. I think that lays a strong foundation for when you then so, bring yeah. in conversations about dating and and sex and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, so so good. I love the the intentionality, the building the relationship, and I believe you know it's it's never too late. Um, yeah, you know I few years ago, I had said to Valerie, I hadn't, I'm, I'm close with my parents, but I don't know a lot of their story. And I, I said the one day to Valerie, I said, I never want to stand at my dad's grave and say, like, I wish I would have known this about you. Mm. Wow. But I hold that responsibility. Like I have the opportunity to still call him and say, Hey dad, let's go for coffee. Mm. Right. So this is, I'm late, early for late thirties by, by the time I, I start this. I learned things about my dad I'd never known my whole life. And wow. I'm 40 at that time I'd be in, in my four, I'm 42 now. So it's just a few years ago, but like it's never too late. And and so even if there's an adult 
listening and, and they're like, ah, oh, I wish I could talk to my parents. I just encourage, pick up the phone, build that relationship. It is never too late to build a relationship and, 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 and start that path going. But mm-hmm. as our kids are younger, I love what you're saying. It is build that foundational relationship in such a trusting way that they will come to us, that they want to come to us. They want to know uh, what mom and dad think they, and they know that we accept them and love them and are, are wanting to walk with them. And absolutely, uh, you alluded to even this, like about the outside and, and be drawing attention to that things. And, and that reminded me of, of the course uh, you guys, you have a course awkward and that's kind of how we got introduced to the union movement. Uh, actually, I, I took the course and in there you even, I'm sure there was a part where you talk about the coloring book and your son's like, mom, like, uh, uh, yeah. And then you're like, you just talk about it. You're like, yeah, you're right. And, and what's happening. I'm totally messing up, but I know there's a part in there. It's your resource, but right. Totally. Yes. Yeah. When they were, I remember doing dishes and they were probably four or five years old and coloring in their, I think it was like event Marvel yeah. coloring book or something. And, uh, at one point, I just like look over at the t- kitchen table where they're sitting, and like he's like coloring her breasts. Like it's like, uh, I think it would have been like Catwoman or something like that. And unfortunately, so then it's like I realize, oh my gosh, like this is a kid's coloring book, and yet here's this woman like standing as we know she would in in uh, Catwoman's not Marvel. I just suddenly my kids would I think be it was Wonder, Wonder Woman, wasn't it? Wasn't it, it would have been Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. I'm like, my kids would be so offended. Mom, that's DC. Yeah. It was Wonder Woman. You're right. Okay. Fact check. Um whose anyway. story is this? <laughs> it was I did watch time. it. See, I did watch you it. You did watch know. it. <laughs> so he's coloring Wonder Woman's chest. And it's like that's clearly what the artist was trying to get you to look at was her chest and her hips and the way she's standing. So I was like, okay, here we go. Like, let's talk about the way women are portrayed. You know, this is, this is far, this is years before there's going to be any like hormonal influence on my, these young boys' minds, but let's talk about it now. So I just remember gathering, uh, I think it was the oldest three. I think maybe our, they were maybe, yeah, like four and three and, you know, one-year-olds, one-year-olds not engaged at all. (laughs) And we sit on the couch and I'm like, let's flip through this coloring book and i want you to like let's see every time they show a woman i mean honestly it could be argued for men as well there's such an overemphasis on like what a man man's physique is supposed to be and it's like there's a definition of masculinity that extends far beyond your muscles Mm -hmm. because you need to be like what about the 80 year old man when it's like i can't i don't have muscle tone anymore am i still a man yes you are there's authentic manhood that extends beyond your physical physicality anyways but we're having this conversation about wonder woman And so let's look through and let's see, are there any, let's look at the pictures of the women and let's decide what are they trying to get you to look at? Are they trying to help you see her as an entire being or are they trying to get you to look only at her exterior? And that's ultimately, that's a lot of what pornography is, is just let's turn a three-dimensional human body, soul, spirit. Let's turn her into one dimensional. Let's Mm -hmm. turn her into a body for consumption. I'm not saying that to them, but I'm saying, what do you think the artist is wanting you to look at? And every time they'd be like her private parts, like her, her backside, her breasts, like, um, and so I was like, you know what? There's a story in the Bible of Gideon who you guys, and they knew this story. He was called by God to lead the people of Israel out of oppression from the Midianites. But before he did that, he actually had 
the assignment by God was to tear down the high places. And those were the places dedicated to false God worship, which was normally through sexual immorality and child sacrifice. I didn't say those things to them, but that's what I know. So I said, actually, that this system of trying to get you to always focus on the outside has been around for hundreds of years. And the people of God have always had to oppose it in order to have victory in their life and freedom in their life. So we can be like Gideon right now and we can tear out every page that we think, no, this is a lie about who she is as an entirety of her personhood. And so then we just went through and unfortunately there was only, there was one picture where it was clear like, oh, we're focusing not on her body, but on her strength and on her, even on her face. You know, some of those early conversations, we'd always say, you know, if you see a woman who is, again, it's like the funny, the language, how would I say it when they were little? But it's like, if they're dressing seductively, acting seductively, make sure you look them in the eye, make sure that you treat them with dignity. Mm -hmm. Even if they have forgotten that the most important part of who they are, isn't their body, we remember. And so we will treat them with honor. So that's the coloring book story. Yeah. So good. So you got to go watch, you know, everyone has to go watch the rest of the series. It's a, it's a free series, right? It is. Yep. On, on your website and yep. and then they'll know a little bit more of that story but that so was good. impactful like I, I just remember and then the part that I remember so much about it is that you and, and thanks for sharing it but you sit with your kids and you rip out like every page and so it's just like it is right in front of us mm-hmm. and it isn't that we have to talk about the physical act of sex and then it's not like it is in front of us all over the place totally. and what you did at that such a young age is build a foundation and you're starting to build a foundation for not only how we're going to treat people but also how we're going to talk about things and you know mm-hmm. what nothing's off limits in our family we right. can talk about things and then here's the other thing the bible also talks about it and actually the Bible has the answers to the questions mm-hmm. that you have. So why don't we go and, and look at the Bible and see what God's word says about honoring people. Let's see yeah. what God's word says about honoring him. Mm-hmm. Our identity. About our identity. All that can take place mm-hmm. at any age that our kids yeah, are at. That's right. So Absolutely. thanks for sharing that story. That was, that story was really impactful <laughs> through that resource that, that I watched. So, how do people find the union movement? How do they get connected into those types of resources? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, we have a website. It's the unionmovement.com. And on there, we have blogs, podcasts, uh, obviously these e-courses, these video courses um, that we crowdfund for just to make available for free. Um, they just have to register, sign up, and they can jump in a course. But anyway, so that's where all of our resources are. We're on mm-hmm. social media as well at the Union Movement. It's our handle, and yeah, we just we just want to help um, individuals, leaders, parents, just have a, a healthy gospel center perspective um, to sexuality, identity, and relationships. So mm-hmm. we'd love to connect that way. Mm-hmm. Awesome, so good. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that, and yeah, people. All our listeners, go check out the union movement and take advantage of those free resources. Maybe throw them some money as well. As they said, they're a crowdfunded organization. And so uh, don't be afraid to help them out that way so you can continue producing these free resources for people. And any church leaders are out there, you, you do some speaking in churches as well. So absolutely yep. them that way as well. But we want to thank you. Thank you for joining us on Marriage Talk. We're going to bring you back. I'm excited to hear more about your marriage story and, and just uh, how that's been processed and, and, and things you've done well and 
maybe a bump here or there along the way as, as most people have as well, but we're excited for that. One of the things that we always do at the end of our podcast is we love to end our podcast. Uh, we love ending marriage talk with processing questions for our listeners based on kind of the conversation that we had with them. Valerie, you have some questions that you want to throw out to our listeners here. Yeah. Um, do you? As a parent, as a spouse, as, as just as an individual, do you feel comfortable and equipped to talk about sex, to talk about sexuality, whether that be with your kids, with your spouse, or even just to process it on your own? And another question could be, what would help you to unpack your own sexual journey so that you're free to openly discuss this topic, whether it be with your kids or with your spouse? Awesome. Well, we hope that you enjoy processing those questions, uh, thinking them through, maybe even talking them through as a family uh, together. Again, thank you, Brian and Bonnie. Uh, It was so lovely to chat with you and connect with you, and we look forward to doing it again. Uh, Thanks to you, everyone that's listening, and we will talk with you next week. Bye.